This gospel reading, just to put it in context, is at the Last Supper. So listen to the good news proclaimed in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, beginning at the 30th verse. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. This is the gospel of Christ. As we're standing, let's pray. Lord, you are love, and you show us the very essence of what it means to be a family. And we pray that your Holy Spirit speak into each of our hearts about what that love should look like. In your name, amen. Please have a seat. As Steve said, we're carrying on our, our series about um, being God's family, and today we're going to look at what it means, what it looks like to be God's family. I think so often we look at our, our natural earthly families, and maybe yours is perfect, but um, as you could tell by Steve's card, um, <laughs> ours is not always perfect. And we use that as our standard for God's family. Instead of looking at what is God's standard for what we should look like as the body of Christ. And Jesus said those, those well-known words that were read um, today. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this all will know that you are my disciples. Alan um, was talking, he, a few weeks ago he had an experience out surfing. He made it to the 7 o'clock, I think maybe he's gone off surfing now. Um, but he said he was, he was paddling out to get a good wave, and he heard these two on their surfboard, and they were just waiting, I, I don't know all the surfing lingo, anyway, and they were saying, sure, you know those, those Christians, I would never speak to, those Christians are terrible, you've got to be so careful of them. And the one said, I would never let a Christian into my house. And those were the words they were saying. And it's quite scary how in the world people will say, well, Jesus is good, but those Christians, they're a bunch of hypocrites. You look at them, you see the, and look at what it looks like from the outside. You see church splits, you see infighting in churches. Church can be a messy place. But what could it look like for us as the body of St. Margaret's? What would it look like for us to be known by our love? Hey, you know that? There's people there at that church. Sure, you can tell they follow Jesus by how they love each other. Now, many of us probably think we're doing pretty well on that. But today I want to encourage us to, sometimes we can compare ourselves to other churches, but let's go and say, what does God say that looks like? What does that love look like? What is that, as I have loved you? And our focus is on going to be on the love between Christians. So not necessarily just in St. Margaret's. It's the love between um, Christians throughout the world. And here, 
we read Jesus saying, by this that you love one another, that is, that is the defining characteristic. Does it mean that we must love people in the world less? Now this might sound strange, but I would say no, it doesn't mean we must love non-Christians less. It means we must love each other more. Because if you think about it, it's actually quite logical. Because if, if we are dead to sin and alive to Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit in us, because our spirits are alive to, to God, then it should be, our loving each other should be a foretaste of heaven. Because it's the Holy Spirit alive in you, alive in me. So as we love each other, it should be different to how the world loves each other. And that is the mark. So as we look at it, we're looking specifically at that high calling of love between us. And I want us to look at the passage as we look, what does that love look like? When, when Jesus said those words, as I have loved you, what was going on at that time? So we can say, what does that love look like? And we're gonna, so we're going to start at the beginning of John. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open them, John 13. And it starts with, before Jesus gets to that commandment, in verse 2, it says, Jesus went on to show the full extent of his love. So if we're looking at saying, okay, what is love as I have loved you? What does it look like? Now Jesus is going on to show the full extent of his love. So this must give us some kind of picture of what that looks like. So I'm going to go through it, and as we, I'm not going to go in detail. You can look at the headings as we go through um, the, the passages, but just picture, picture yourself there. What would it look like if you were one of those disciples? So it starts after those words about Jesus showing the full extent. He washes their dirty, dusty feet. He gets down on the ground, the Son of God, and he washes the disciples' feet and gives them such a model of servanthood. And then they're sitting around the table and they're eating. The, the tables then were solid blocks. They didn't put their feet under the table. They reclined. It says he was reclining at the table. And you would recline towards the left, was the done thing, and eat with your right. So no, no cutlery. So you just eat with your right, recline to the left. And we know that the, the disciple whom Jesus loved was on his right. And we assume that that was John because of various, various things. So John is reclining against Jesus. The place of greatest honor was on the left of the host, not the right. And we'll come back to that. Who Jesus was leaning against himself. And they're eating. Now they're having, this is the first communion meal, but they're not having thin papery wafers and little sip, little swig of, of watered down wine. They're having a meal together. This is a communion, a fellowship meal. And Jesus takes the bread and he says, this is my body broken. And, and then he says at the end of the meal, this is my blood shed for you. And, and then after he said that, he looks distraught. And he's really grieved, it tells us in scripture. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, these are his disciples who he's been with for three years. They say, who's it going to be? And Peter eyeballs John and says, ask him, ask him. And so John asks Jesus, who is it? And, and Jesus says, it's the one who dips his bread. Uh, who I, when I dip bread in the bowl and give it to, it is that one. And he dips the bread in the bowl and gives it to Judas. And Judas says, surely not I. And he says, yes, it is you. And then he says, what you are about to do, do quickly. So Judas quickly leaves. And the disciples assume, because it was tradition at Passover, to go and get something for the poor, to, to give some kind of offering. So Judas was, had the money bags. So they assume he was going to go and buy something. 
and give it to the poor. After that, the disciples start fighting. They say, oh, who's going to be the greatest? I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. No, no, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. They're having this squabble. And can you see the context? And they're squabbling about who's going to be the greatest. And then after that, Jesus talks about glory. And there's this verse. I don't know if you found it quite a mouthful, but it certainly is. Verse 31. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Anyone offering to give a wonderful explanation of what that, what that means? You know, we've just seen the, the disciples. And whose glory were they looking for? Their own. But yet, here we see God, Jesus talking about God the Father being glorified in Jesus. Jesus glorifying the Father. There is this glorifying of each other. It's this awesome, awesome picture. And we look, how was that glory achieved? The cross was the picture of the greatest shame. To be crucified was the most horrendous, horrendous, shameful thing. And yet, the God of the universe would use that shameful act to bring his glory, to show his glory. Because he showed his love, his divine love, through that act of shame, laying down everything. And that, that is an awesome picture. So Jesus gave glory to the Father by obeying him, and God the Father was glorified in that demonstration of love. So anyway, that's a little bit of a picture of what that glory is all about as you read it. And he goes on to say, I'm, I'm going to leave. Sorry, guys, I'm not going to be here all the time. I have to go. I just think he's 33, not that old. He's saying, I'm having to go. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. Now, that's not a new commandment. If any of you know your scripture, that's in the Old Testament. But that word new, it means different, unusual. And he says, as I have loved you. And as we look at it just now, we're going to see that as I have loved you is a new way of loving. It's a different, it's an unusual way of loving. And Peter, you know, Peter always interrupts. Anytime he's got a chance, he interrupts. And he's still thinking about those words Jesus said about, I've got to leave you. He says, no, no, you can't do that. And where you go, I'm going to go with you. And Jesus says, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me three times. And he, then he goes on, Jesus says, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. That is the picture we have. It doesn't sound like this perfect church. You know, it sounds pretty messy. You know, imagine the surfers, Alan's surfers looking into that scene. What would they have thought of that as church? What's that love that's displayed? But if we, if we question that, think about how the disciples would have looked back. We miss the point if we say, oh, well, that's messy. The thing is, it's as I have loved you. What did Jesus' lo love look like? You know, if the disciples were looking back, they would have thought, sure, there we were arguing about who's going to be greatest. And our Lord is talking about laying down his life, and we just didn't get it. Peter would have said, sure. I mean, there I was, interrupting, changing, promising, making all these rash promises, how fickle I was. And Jesus knew I'd betray him. And he doesn't even berate me. He goes on to say, don't be troubled. Imagine how they would have looked at that love, looking back on the scene. Okay, Judas, he wouldn't have thought anything because he would have been dead by then. But love, the picture of love seems to be such a one-way. 
a laying down of everything. In the midst of church looking at its worst, what did Jesus do? He laid down everything. It's the same love that we are commanded to give each other. In the midst of human fickleness and failing and frailty, in the midst of your failings and my failings, we're called on to give that kind of love. And, and Jesus never says it'll be tidy. He doesn't say it's going to have a perfect resolve to it. But he still commands us to give that kind of love. And it may seem like a massive ask. Some of you might have been hurt by another Christian. And, and you think of that as we're talking about that. You think, sure, that's a big ask. But I don't believe that is the full ask. I don't believe that's all of it. Laying down, giving up everything. I actually don't think that's the model of love that Jesus showed. I think if we see that as the sum total, that's dangerous. Because then it can lead to pride. Or, or worse, it can lead to us just being in comfortable fellowship, cordial relationships. Instead of communion, if we just lay down ourselves, if we're like a doormat to other people, that's not about two-way relationships. And the love that we see Jesus displaying is the love that not only initiates giving, but initiates receiving. Jesus didn't just lay down everything. He invited others to love him in return. You know, that's, that's not safe. It's easier to say, I'm going to give up everything for someone. But to invite them, it's the risk of rejection. It's the risk of being hurt in that. He loved others by inviting them to honor, by honoring them and making it easy for them to love in return. I mean, if you just take a closer look, look at Judas. Okay, here was the, the man who was going to portray Jesus. And I want us to come back to that Last Supper. All the commentaries that I've read say that in all probability, the person in the place of highest honor, the person on the left of Jesus was Judas. Because how else would Judas and Jesus be able to have a conversation that no one else could hear? He said, surely not I. Yes, it is you. How would Jesus have been able to easily pass the little bit of bread that he dipped to Judas? And they all say, in all likelihood, it was Judas that Jesus had placed in that spot of highest honor. And also, the host of the meal, when they dipped anything in a bowl and gave it to the person, that person that they gave it to, it was symbolizing that they were their most intimate friend. It was a huge honor. And here was Jesus giving it to Judas. So yes, it was signifying betrayal. But at the same time, it was an invitation to love. And we know that, Jesus, that Judas declined that invitation. That instead of it drawing him to repentance, it almost shut him down. And that's when Satan entered him and he left. But we see Jesus inviting. And you look at Peter. There Peter is. And, and Jesus knows that he's going to betray him. What happens? He's going to deny him. What happens after he's resurrected. What happens on the beach? What does he say to Peter? He doesn't berate him, not once does he say, sure, you mustn't do that again. You denied me, you must, do, you must have your faith straight, you must do this, do that. He never does that. What does he say to them? Simon Peter, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? What is he doing? He's inviting that love back. 
that picture that love is not just about giving. It's about inviting people to give it back to us because that's when we're in community. That is when we are the body of Christ. That is a really important picture. And it's a difficult picture because it's risky. I know from my own experience, we can feel like we lay down and, and that's hard enough. But to actually invite the other person, that is even tougher. We're commanded to love as I have loved you with that same kind of love. Oh, 1 Corinthians 12 reading starts with saying, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And it goes on to say that we can achieve everything in the world. We can have faith that moves mountains. We can perform mighty miracles. We can know everything, the gift of prophecy, all these amazing spiritual things. We can give away everything we have. But if we haven't got love, it's nothing. Zilch. Zero. Nothing, nothing, nothing. We're told in Scripture that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And why is that? Because God's very essence is love. God is love. So how can we know God? It's by loving each other with that kind of love gives us a taste of who God is. Because God laid down everything. It is who He is. So we are called to love so we can know God. Yes, we know God praying to him, but he teaches us who he is by how he calls us to love others. I want to say one final thing as I close about this kind of love. This message of initiating love, I don't believe it's too, it doesn't start with us as the fellowship of St. Margaret's. I believe it starts with us as individuals. Because if we say, oh, it starts with us as St. Margaret's, the issue is we're going to get hurt or someone we love is going to get hurt by someone who we all have our failings, someone failing, someone doing something, if we say it starts like that. But if we say, it's my responsibility that Jesus has commanded me to love with that kind of love that initiates giving, that initiates receiving. When we have that kind of attitude, we start seeing our own failings. We start see, seeing our own fickleness. And we realize that we are called to love like that and we invite that love back. And it becomes catchy. It becomes that kind of pass it on type thing that it is catchy. Love, we are called to love as I have loved you, Jesus said, and it initiates with us. We live out that love and as we do, we will show and honor God in this watching world. So that is my prayer, that we can go out and we can initiate love amongst each other, not just as St. Margaret's, but as the wider body of Christ. Shall we pray? Let's just have a time of quiet. What is that, as I have loved you? What is God saying to you through those, those words? new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So are you to love one another. If there is this love among you, then all will know that you are my disciples. And Lord, that is our prayer, that we can have that love, that your Holy Spirit so fills us with the, the patience, the, the kindness, the gentleness, the courage 
to love with the love that initiates giving and initiates receiving. We pray that we may be a beacon of light. We pray as a church family, Lord, that we may have that kind of love. And Lord, we pray for your wider body on this earth. Lord, that we are part of, that we are called not just to love each other within this church in a sacrificial way, but all Christians we come across. Lord, we pray that we may have a heart for those around the world. We think especially today of Christians being persecuted. We think especially of the situation in Iraq. Lord, for that ISIS group, we, we pray for your intervention. We pray, Lord, for your, your love to be present with those disciples, that they may so display your love that those militants there can't help but bow the knee and glorify you, Lord. We pray for the church in South Africa. We pray for unity between denominations and for your love to be displayed. And Lord, we would end off with praying for ourselves. That it start with us, that you give us the courage. And when we fall down, that we can pick ourselves up again and give love out of the love that we have received from you. And Lord, we'd end with saying that we give you all the honor and glory. We thank you for the love that we have. We thank you for your unconditional love, that it is that love that we give out of. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.